0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law presented by T-Mobile, the
1: official wireless partner of Odyssey sports with an awesome network and great savings. There's never been a better time to join T-Mobile visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. A Sunday night get together here on CBS sports radio time to talk some NBA with one of the best of the business. Uh, He moved his tack and his uh, laptop and everything else uh, from Bleacher Report over to Sports Illustrated. He's got a new podcast he's going to give us some details on as well. NBA insider Howard Beck joins us here on CBS Sports Radio. HB, how you be? I'm doing all right, Jody Mack. How are you? Good. How's the new gig with SI? The gig is going
2: great. Thank you very much. It's, uh, you know, SI was the, uh, the dream job from the moment I decided to to, to do this thing, uh, many, many, many years ago. So, uh, Great place for me to land and uh, couldn't be happier.
1: I I, dis- I agree 100%. I know exactly where you're coming from. Sports Illustrated was a lot of guys of our age, and I got a couple of years on you, but you're no spring chicken either. It's uh, been the uh, Bible for sports uh, journalism for a long time. Glad you are now part of it. And you jump right into a fun NBA season, a different NBA season, um, with the way that the games are being played with nobody in the stands and the like do you think the lack of crowds has had an effect? We got a taste of it last year in the bubble, but this is different. Teams in their home building, but no crowds. How do you think the fact that we're trying to have a COVID season has affected the play on the court in the NBA?
2: Well, there's definitely an impact. I mean, you know, there's not much of a home court advantage to speak of, clearly. Um, Everybody is playing either in front of zero crowd or very small crowds. And, you know, I just... Don't think that you can, you know, the, there's, the only conclusion you can draw is that that has some sort of impact, which was not the case in the bubble. Um, but there's, you know, the, whatever psychological impact there is of being on the road, of having hostile crowds, or having a supportive crowd, all of that, once that's gone, um, and I think it's showing up in the standings. Like, look across the standings. There's, there aren't that many great teams. There's a lot of mediocrity. There's a lot of teams a little bit above or a little below 500, you know, if you, if, it's a, if you want to look at a glass half full, you can say, well, there's a lot of teams that are still in it. That's fine. But I think the flattening of the standings, you know, speculatively, it's impossible to prove, but it, it seems like that could be part of the lack of home court. And then, of course, the other obvious impact has been, you know, uh, two dozen games that have been postponed because of, of, you know, some combination of guys either being sick or being in contact tracing protocols. And you know it's it's been disruptive. That that settled down over the last couple of weeks. So um, that's that's good news. And then we'll see what the second half of the season holds. They still haven't given us that schedule.
1: I was going to say, if you uh, told uh, the commissioner of the NBA that we'd be sitting here in mid-February and he would have only had, uh, as you mentioned, uh, slightly above a handful of games postponed, but not a ton of them, I think they would have been pretty happy about it considering the state of the country. I know it's an everyday changing thing, but from where we started to where we are now, I think the NBA's actually done a pretty good job of staying ahead of the curve and keeping as many games scheduled and played as uh, possible.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, what people have to obviously realize with all of this is that no matter what your rules, protocols, guidelines, you know, however you, you want to set out the the rules of engagement for a season, they're still subject to the conditions around them. And, you know, the virus is still raging. Um, Fortunately, it's, it's, you know, infection rates have gone down over the last couple of weeks across the country. But it's not an NBA problem, of course. It's a, a, you know, societal problem. And I think they manage it about as well as they can. Um, You know, you can't eliminate the risks entirely as long as you're playing. And so you manage it as well as you can. And I think, you know, to the extent that the NBA has postponed a bunch of games, you know, part of that's just because they've erred on the side of caution. It's not that it was because those rosters were decimated by guys being sick. It was mostly a lot of guys in contact tracing protocols, right. which is, you know, to the NBA's credit, they, they're that's, you know, they, they, don't, they don't have to pull those guys from competition. They're doing it to be on the safe side.
1: And I think it's paid dividends for them. Uh, we mentioned uh, no crowds. Some venues around the country are allowing some crowds in, minimal at best so far, but we are starting to see the fans be able to get back into the building, at least on a limited Um. basis. But it opened up a can of worms down in Dallas because the Mavs had, in the games that they were playing with no crowds, chosen to not play the national anthem since the fans weren't there but then the fans were allowed back in and someone noticed hey they didn't play the national anthem and it became a huge story uh mark cuban explained it as best he did the nba took a hardline stance and said if we're gonna have our fans we're gonna have the national anthem everybody's gonna play uh play it uh going forward from now on it became a pretty big story should it have
2: Uh, I don't know how to answer that, Jody. I mean, you know, we understand the politics in this country and we understand how uh, a story that is potentially minor in scope can spin out of control. So I don't think it was actually that big of a story, to be honest. I mean, seems to me it came and went within a day or two and we move on to the next thing, as we always do. Um, I don't think it was that big of a deal.
1: Okay. Do you believe that we should play the national anthem before? Uh, since I'm talking to you, you're Mr. NBA. I'll just say NBA games, but I could say it for any of the major sporting events in this country. It's a tradition that's been around for a long period of time. Is it one, in your opinion, that should continue?
2: That's a policy decision for the leagues to make. It's not for me to say. I mean, I I, I don't think it's necessary. I, I don't I don't think it, it has anything to do with games I don't think it has anything to do with the sport. I don't think we play it anywhere else before people settle in and people will argue that, well, you know, it's a it's a massive gathering of people around a kind of communal. So are concerts, so are movies, so are, you know, all kinds of other, you know, the work day. We don't start everything else with it. So it is a strange kind of association. But it is a tradition, and it's one that people are used to. And so if people, you know, like doing that before the game to kind of bring everybody together, I, you know, that's the argument that they make. Um, I, you know, as I say, I, I don't see any real direct line between playing the anthem and playing a sporting event. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of ingrained in, in tradition.
1: Howard Beck of SI, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio. All right, let's take it back onto the court. The hottest team in the NBA and arguably the best team in the NBA right now is the Utah Jazz. Some cosmetic changes in the roster during the off season, but basically it's the same team coming back from last year where they made uh, some inroads in the playoffs, but then got picked off. Uh, but this year they've been nothing short of spectacular and uh, they're beating everybody, not just the uh, lesser teams in the NBA. They're beating the best of the best. How has Utah improved as much as it has? Well,
2: part of it is, is that, you know, they didn't finish last season a whole. You know, when they lost Boyan Bogdanovich um, during, the, uh, during the layoff and then before the bubble um, to uh, hand surgery, that was certainly a setback for them for when, when they played in the bubble. Um, it was Mike Conley's first year last season with the team after an entire career in Memphis, running things a certain way, playing a certain way. And it was, I think, just a, t- a hard transition, especially because he went to a team where there was already, a, you know, a star guard in Donovan Mitchell who had the ball in his hands a lot. And so, I think the adjustment plus some injuries for Conley just made for a tough first season. And he is back to the incredibly uh, uh, just just effective, productive. Uh, player that he, we we always knew him to be in Memphis, and part of that's health, part of its comfort level, um, and so that you know that makes a big difference. You're adding a guy who, while he's never been named to the All-Star team, is an All-Star caliber talent. Everybody's known that, and you know while his raw stats don't show it, the advanced stats uh, indicate that he has been really critical to their wild success this season. And then they just you know they have a lot of really good, solid players. It's not. The flashiest roster outside of Donovan Mitchell, but it is a really effective group, and they they move the ball really well. They shoot threes at a really high clip. They make them at a really high clip. They're one of the best three point shooting teams in the league. Um, they've got one of the best rim protectors in the league in, in Gobert. So it's just kind of a better than the sum of their parts kind of team. And you know whether that's enough to. You know get through the west and then to knock off the teams with with the the flashier talents in l a we'll see
1: I want to ask you about one of those guys that you say the stats might not tell the story. I know one stat that some people question that's the salary that Rudy Gobert gets. They gave him a max money deal. He doesn't score a ton of points. He doesn't show you any flash on offense. Usually it's put backs and or uh, baskets from five feet and in in which he just gets good position has the ability to score. Uh, he's not a human highlight film. But... He is a guy who just flat out gives you everything else on the basketball floor, as you mentioned, rim protecting, rebounding. He can get out and even play defense on the perimeter when need be because he's athletic enough to do that. Has he justified, in your mind, getting the contract that some people uh, took under pretty good scrutiny when he got max money? Well, it's
2: because we're used to seeing max money go to the guys who put up Gummy stats, and we still don't have stats that properly quantify and define guys who are as great defensively as you know as as the stars who are by uh, who are, are characterized by their offense so it's harder for people to digest but the fact is pretty much his entire career there that's been an elite defensive team and he's the reason you know it takes five guys to play defense but one elite mobile rim protecting center who also has the ability to get out and guard on the perimeter and switch screens and everything else makes everybody else that much better. They're an elite defense because of him. And if you take it as a starting point, that their baseline is they're going to be top 10, possibly top five defense, and that's going to be, you know, result in X number of wins or put them in the top five, six in the West, and then they just have to score a little on top of it. Well, then, you know, he's gotten the most of the way there. And, you know, that to, to, to Utah, that was worth a max deal.
1: Howard Beck from SIR, guest talking NBA here on CBS Sports Radio. All right. Uh, Gobert is the center I think I have a pretty good grasp on. One guy I'm not sure I do is DeAndre Ayton. I watched the uh, Suns beat the Sixers yesterday. And key minutes in the game, they're playing Dario Saric against Joel Embiid, uh, that Aiton was in and out, off the bench. Uh, when he was on the floor, he wasn't the main guy or even the secondary or tertiary guy they were looking for on offense. He just seems to be part of the mix out there in Phoenix. As the number one pick in the draft, I expected more. I'm guessing the Suns expected more. What's the deal with DeAndre Ayton? I mean,
2: I don't know if there's any answer to that about you know, other than this, you know, this, this is, this is the player he is. I mean, uh, he's not, he's, he's, he's not a guy who is going to take over a game offensively. He doesn't control the ball as a center. Um, he's not the new age unicorn type center, like an Embiid or a Jokic who can do everything. He's, you know, but he's, you know, he's got some game around the rim and, and mid range can shoot a little bit and Um, he's not, he's, I don't think he's elite, right? Like that's what you want from a number one pick. He may just be really, he may just be solid. And, you know, um, it's not that this, you know, this is, I think this is just who he is, but then again, he's still early enough in his career that I think, you know, it's always, you know, we should always use a little bit of caution before judging a guy, give him a chance to, to continue to evolve.
1: Well, I I thought he'd be evolving quicker, but you're right. He might just be a good player, maybe a very good player, but not a great player. Um, Speaking of not great, the early NBA game today was the Celtics, who got it handed to them by the Wizards, who have struggled as much as anybody in the NBA today. Uh, Bradley Beal had a Bradley Beal game, came back after missing a game, put up a 35 spot. Uh, But the Celtics just weren't clicking on offense. Uh, Jason Tatum had its lowest scoring game of the year. The Celtics have now dropped 10 of 16 and are just a 500 team. What are the issues in Boston?
2: Well, I think that stretch includes when Tatum was out for quite a bit from COVID. And if you talk to guys around the league, when players are coming back from COVID, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's, you know, it's, Anytime you've been out for a couple of weeks and haven't been playing, you're already behind conditioning-wise and rhythm-wise and and everything else. On top of that, if you've been out because of COVID, now you have the added issue of it takes people who have been through this sometimes a long time to get their uh, full lung capacity back and and to just feel like themselves again. Like the recovery can be really slow. So I don't know if that's what's going on. I'm just speculating there. Kimball Walker, you know we know he missed a ton of st- a ton of time at the beginning of the season because of his knee, and that's still an issue I believe, so you know they're you know they're they're just dealing with some things there i don't I don't know if there's any one particular particular thing that's wrong with the celtics it's it's uh, it's you know multiple things that they're just kind of working through.
1: Fair enough. Uh, No, we're still more than a month away from the trade deadline. I mentioned Bradley Beal putting up a 35 spot, leads the league in scoring this year, but is buried on a bad team. If Washington's going to go into a rebuild, the best way to go about that is to see if they could move Bradley Beal. In-season trade for Bradley Beal, is that doable or is it going to cost too much? Would a team be willing to do that to make a championship run? Uh, I know there'll be a lot of talk about it, but will something get done before the trade deadline with Bradley Beal going to a contender?
2: It doesn't seem likely. I mean, they have been pretty consistent, which is that they don't want to trade him unless he wants to be traded. And he's been pretty consistent in saying that he – Wants to finish out and stick things out in Washington. So, if those two things remain true, <laughs> um, I, I don't I don't see where there's a Bradley Beal trade coming anytime soon.
1: Bradley Beal may not go, but we saw James Harden go. You and I haven't talked since he joined the Brooklyn Nets. They are a unique team. They are worth the price of admission on a night-in-night-out basis because they score a ton but also give up a ton off a good win in which they outscored the Warriors last night on the West Coast. Kevin Durant's return to the Bay Area. Um, After the game, Kyrie Irvin said, oh, yeah, the point guard of this team is James Harden. I'm perfectly fine being the two-guard. They've uh, Kyrie has always been thought of as a point guard, but he doesn't need that position with the Nets. Was that a good thing that that came out last night, that James Harden is, at least in Kyrie's Irving mind, the designated point squad, uh, point guard of that team?
2: Oh, it was just uh, confirming what was already evident. I mean, that's been the case for weeks now, and if you watch the games, you could see James Harden had the ball in his hands far more than Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving was playing more of an off-guard position, but obviously he can handle the ball in any given possession, and so can Kevin Durant. And, you know, but that is the way it evolved. James Harden ratcheted back to his credit, ratcheted back his shooting and, and scoring since he's been in Brooklyn, and decided to become more of a playmaker. He is their best playmaker, so it makes sense. He is their best, you know, uh you know, just overall, which is funny because obviously he started his career viewed as a shooting guard. But James Harden is, is you know, we we saw in Houston for years a really phenomenal playmaker and passer. So um, I don't think anything changed by Kyrie saying it. He was just kind of confirming the obvious. But the interesting thing is that they actually had the discussion, or that it wasn't didn't talk as much of a discussion. Kyrie just simply said to James Harden, "You're you're, you're, you're the you're the point guard," which is fine. And and look. Kyrie Irving, while used to having the ball in the control of the offense in his hands, he did play several seasons alongside LeBron James, where LeBron is is essentially the point guard of every team he's ever played for. So it's not as if Kyrie Irving hasn't had to, uh, you know, adjust and, and split those duties before.
1: And they worked well for them last night because they uh, won handily out in Golden State. All right, last thing. Uh, as of now, plans are ongoing. Votes are being tabulated for this year's NBA All-Star Game. It's not going to be All-Star Weekend as it has been in the past. The NBA is acknowledging that they're pushing the envelope a little bit here to have the All-Star Game, but they want to have it for varying reasons. Do those reasons merit the game actually being played? NHL canceled its All-Star Game. Uh, There's certainly the Pro Bowl, which is a waste of time anyway, but they didn't have one in the NFL. But the NBA is forging ahead uh, something they have to do or a calculated error on the part of the league?
2: Well, there's no way to put an exact – well, there's a way to put an exact sum. There's no publicly available exact value for All-Star Weekend, but I'm told it's in the tens of millions, not, not up to 100 million, but somewhere in the tens of millions um, of value for Turner Sports, which, of course, broadcasts all of All-Star Weekend in a normal season. And so if the NBA decides not to have anything, then they've got to discuss that with Turner Sports. They got to make it up to them at some point. And if they're not making it up to them, then 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 it's then it's a net loss that, you know, the, I think the league would then have to compensate them for and so now it's going to be the league's net loss. Well, whatever they generate revenue-wise from All-Star Weekend, as with everything, is split 50-50 between the players and the owners. It's basketball-related income, BRI. And so if the if the, if the the league was going to not have it and the players were going to agree to it, then they're losing half of, of whatever those tens of millions are. So this isn't the league deciding it, and it's not even the league and the union deciding it. It's actually something that's already in the collective bargaining agreement. They have to decide not to have it. It's it's in there unless otherwise uh, negotiated out. And so um, I, I think the players, along with the league, recognize this is worth a lot of money to all of us. It's also a flagship event. It's important for fan engagement, and so they decided to go through with it, albeit you know, grudgingly for a lot of players. LeBron and, and Giannis and, and several others have have said they're not exactly enthused about it. I don't blame them. Um, I, I you know, it, it's easy for me to say because it's not my tens of millions. But yeah, I would think that that, that All Star Game in in this uh, environment. It's it's not necessary. It's it's one thing to have a season and to play the games and to to carry on your business, but the the all star game, you know, most years is fairly forgettable anyway. And I think this would be an easy place to draw the line and say we don't have to do this. Let's just vote on the teams. The honors will still go in the books for history, but the the game itself uh, feels to me uh, superfluous and. You know, uh, again, there's there's a lot of money tied up in it, and so that, that's clearly why they're going to do it anyway.
1: That's Sports Illustrated's Howard Beck here with us on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, got the new podcast, No Longer the Full 48. The Crossover is Howard's new podcast. You can get that where you get all your better sports podcasts. All right, Jordan Mack, hang with you. we get the phones reopened. You want to put some NBA into the mix? Sounds to me like Howard and I disagreed a little bit. There was a bunch of things I wanted to talk uh, about him with, so uh, time permitting, I didn't want to get into a long, drawn-out debate about whether there should or shouldn't be a national anthem before sporting events. Seems like Howard doesn't necessarily agree with that. I certainly do. I think it is a tradition that needs to be kept in place here in this country. So that's one of the topics we'll continue to roll with. On my uh, telephone lines, 855-212-4227, Jody Mac coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. You want to see your loan options, adjust payments and closing costs online in real time?
0: Well, Rocket can. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.